Is this chair creaky? No, it's good. <laughs> Even that? I hear just okay. barely, but yeah, it's not distracting at all. It's good. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So welcome, potential audience, to the Two Worlds podcast. We're calling it Two Worlds because you may or may not be able to tell we are two brothers. Two worlds. Sounds like a 90s sitcom. <laughs> Uh, we're two brothers who um, have had different experiences in our young adult life. And I think through that, we can, we have a lot to offer to the discussion on religion. And is there any other topic, <laughs> maybe philosophy we'll touch on? Um, but it's all going to come down to religion and i think in this one christianity in particular so i am going to introduce myself as andrew the agnostic and uh, we'll talk about what that means for me and maybe we'll i'll even get challenged on whether or not i'm even ag agnostic i don't i don't know i'm agnostic about being an agnostic <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if it matters, but <laughs> Jeff, do you want to introduce yourself and tell them, tell them what you do? Sure. I'm um, Jeff, the Jesus guy. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm a pastor. Um, I'm your brother. And um, yeah, I'm a pastor in the, in the church of the Nazarene, which is kind of a weird um it's a it's it's a denomination that is uncomfortably evangelical, um, and so, oh. um, it's. But what we well, I'm sure we'll get into all of that. But um, yeah, that's what I do, and so I guess I'm sort of representing the uh, the, the the Christians here. Um, yeah, yeah. The Nazarene denomination is it's a lesser known. Um, People ask me how to describe it, and all I can say is, well, it broke off the Methodist Church in the 20th century, early 20th century. Someone told me a few months ago that it started out as a ministry to alcoholics, that it was a Methodist church on Skid Row, and there were some members who said, let's take that message right outside our four walls because there's plenty of people to minister to there. Does that, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, all of these things are always more complicated, but yeah. Um, um, I would say the, the, um, the ministry to, to addicts and, and kind of, I'm sure they would have used, um, you know, language again, this was the late 1800s. So, um, but there, it was a Methodist pastor. Um, uh, so sort of, if I could just, just real quickly, yeah, there are two please. big influences happening. The holiness movement, uh, in, in the late 1800s is kind of a extra, yeah. it's outside of the church. Right. Um, so it's all these people from multiple different denominations, um, who are convinced that, um, that 
holiness kind of in this life is a real possibility. And so that's all kind of going on. And then you have, um, it especially sort of aligns with Methodist theology. And so, um, yeah, so there are a lot of Methodists. Brzee, the, the pastor you're talking about, he was a Methodist pastor in LA doing uh, that kind of work at a, um, I think at a place called Penile Mission, if I have that right. Um, and, and the Methodist church didn't want to let him continue doing it. And so, um, so that's when he, that's when he ended up leaving. Um, the Methodist church has a much stronger structure of like, we get to tell you where you get to pastor. Um, and so, uh, so that's when he left. And then it was about, uh, that was 1895. I think that LA first church started. And then it was like, 1908 is when the denomination officially started with all these holiness people from, from different parts of the country. Yeah. So that's a history nobody cares about, <laughs> but real holiness. Yeah. Yeah. But history's 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 tough. Cause it can get kind of, you know, I don't know. And that's where we both come from. Yeah. Um, it shaped my experience for sure. My experience with the church, holiness, I mean, back in the day, it was no dancing and no going to movies. It went that far. But we grew up with it being uh, very plainly, let's say, no sex before marriage. No, it was, I mean, these are common things throughout the church. Okay. So that hasn't changed and it's not going to change. I mean, what else? What other kind of rules there were? There was still some kind of... I'll just say, for lack of a better word, paranoia around mass media, secular media. Uh, I heard that word a lot, secular, growing up. And yeah. I'm not yeah. sure I, I don't like it. I, <laughs> I, I see the need for it, but it... <sighs> yeah, and I think that was a part of just our being part of like the uh, the whole evangelical world, right? So like growing up in our house, both our parents are you know, our, our dad's in, in ministry and, um, you know, and so that was like, yeah, it felt like in some ways, I guess that was kind of like a whole, that was a whole world unto itself. Um, I remember, let's see, what could we not watch? Ninja Turtles was a big one, too much Eastern philosophy. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that for sure. Which is weird for me. That's one of the things I, have been thinking about is how let's say demonized Eastern philosophy is and just anything that's not Bible-based strict Christianity. I mean, and I even see a lot of just division between even the denominations. And at the end of the day, well, we were taught, well, as long as you believe in Jesus, it's all good. Yeah, But it came with a lot of, but we'd rather you not go to this kind of church. We really think ours is the best, which Hmm. in in fairness, like we got to believe in what we're doing. So I don't fault anyone for that. Yeah. Um, what kind of, I, I'm, I'm sort of interested. I, cause some of these conversations are conversations you and I have never had. Like I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm 33, you're 30. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah. um, so I'm, and, and for whatever reason, it feels like we had pretty different experiences. Um, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's interesting, I think where to see how kind of your 
our, our different perceptions of those things. Um, yeah. How they've worked themselves out. What churches did you feel like you were maybe told or just maybe it was just insinuated or something that you shouldn't go to? Well, the Catholic church for sure. Okay. That was like, huh. yeah. Were you interested in going to a Catholic church? I just remember as a kid um, having friends who went to Catholic church and asking if I could go. And it oh, was I see. pretty much a hard no. Yeah. Like, Interesting. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and today I look around and I see some good things coming out of there. Now, this is a touchy subject because we all want to, like, what comes to mind is pedophilia, you know, oh, priests touch kids. But I don't want the discussion to stop there. Like, yeah. uh, one of the things I admire about the Catholic Church is that there's a guy at the top who can change course and everyone's got to fall in line, hmm. you know, um, which you is like important. the hierarchy. I like that there's someone in charge. Yeah. Know? Okay. I, because it, it empowers change to happen. Mm. If you look at the Christian church or let's say the evangelical church as a whole, it seems there, there's no consensus or at least there's no one who's going to say, Hey guys, we're not doing this anymore. Mm. Um <laughs> You know, I don't know how far we need to get into that now, but yeah. there, I mean, let's just say on the issue of evolution, it's very clear to me. And from what I understand, a lot of Christians that evolution is pretty sound, you know, and to mm -hmm. stick by a seven day creation theory. Look, if if you want to stick by it and you have a nuanced, really grounded view on it, then power to you. But the petty fighting over public schools and their teaching of science, well-founded science to their children is, it's just atrocious. So, and how that impacts policymaking, impacts through the leaders that we put in charge. And we put inferior people in charge because of issues like that. We're willing, I mean, it's like we're willing to cut one eye out to spite the other, you know. Mm. Maybe that's not the right phrase, but we use that oh, phrase. Yeah. But um, it's, I, I'm, I'm not going to be afraid to say like with our current leadership there it's, there's just glaring issues and demonic for, demonic powers yeah. at, at play. Sure. But yeah. You have millions of people who are going to say, well, but abortion, well, but mm -hmm. gay marriage, well, yeah. but evolution. Yeah. And so they're willing to let all this other stuff slide. These are not godly leaders. They're just people who play to those three issues. I have no idea um, who you're, who you're so slightly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it's not just one guy. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's it, been happening. Yeah. It's certainly not just Donald Trump. That's been happening yeah. to and by evangelicals for a long time. Yeah. yeah.
Yeah. And they, they make themselves look like fools to the rest mm. of the world. And so we're, we're really paying the price. I don't know if the price has been high enough. Mm. I know that pastors talk to each other. So, you know, when are they going to say, hey, I think we got to just like call it quits on this here. Like maybe there's more <laughs> press. Like they don't have to say, uh, okay, now we think we should kill babies. You know, oh, yeah. Now, now you know what? We changed our mind. Uh, homosexuality is totally cool. Uh, we're, no, they just have to say, oh, we're in a deep hole here <laughs> and maybe we're paying a price that we didn't have to pay. You know? mm. Mm. So I, going back to the, the Pope and the leadership, what I like about that is um, that there's a guy who can, who can change course, you mm-hmm. know? And I think he did, I know recently he said uh, he was quoted as saying that God loves the the gay children as they are, you know. Sure, and that's yeah. a that's a big move. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I'm. Um, I, I one of the it just it feels like one of the things that gets leveled against the church oftentimes is that it's too hierarchical. Um, and, um, so it's, it's, it, uh, I guess that's until you want to see it change. Then you want things more hierarchical. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, cause then you know how to, how to actually affect that change. Um, yeah, I think the reality of, of most churches is, is like the reality of most things is it's the leadership is trying to hang on and they're a lot less in charge, um, than they uh, want to be, um, there's, there's much less like, um, except maybe in some, like some fringes, um, there's, there's not always a ton of, um, a ton of options. I think as a, as a leader to go like, you know, this is what we're going to do. You're, you're more of a teacher and an influencer. And so you can sort of turn things over time, but, um, you know, you're, you're always going to be trying to shift cultures and that takes, that takes a, you know, a million and a half small tweaks, um, yeah. more than, more than it takes, especially if you're a congregation or a group of any size. Um, yeah. it's, it's very rare and you wouldn't want to be a part of the groups where the leader can stand up and go, all right, everybody march this way. Um, you know, those aren't, th- those are, they, they're definitely more cultish. Um, and, and yeah. I think, I, I, I would be scared of a place like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. anyway, but that's, yeah, I don't know if that's exactly what you want to talk about, but I'm happy to. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I, I just like the element of conversation in us. Yeah. Like, like you said, like we haven't had these conversations. Yeah. And uh, I think that's hopefully will be some of the magic here. Mm-hmm. Um, that was part of my idea was that we capture this and just let it be hashed out for other people because right well this idea came to me in a conversation that you and i had where um dropping the name joe rogan said something ignorant about religion 
And I thought, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Can you believe it? Joe Rogan said something ignorant or anybody said something ignorant <laughs> about religion. But he went to Catholic school, so I'm pretty sure he knows everything. <laughs> no, and, and even uh, I, I'm sure that he wouldn't uh, purport to know anything. But one of the things that I like about what he does and happens in the podcast world is he talks to experts um, from all s different types of fields. And, you know, we've seen that with history. We've seen that with conspiracy theories. We've seen that talking to the right and the left of the political spectrum. Um, we've seen that with science. So, but nobody, they're not talking about uh, theology, you know, mm -hmm. and who's going to stand up and just give the, devil it's due pardon the expression mm -hmm. um i'm interested in it i'm trying to come into this with an open mind and i think that well hopefully there's more interest but yeah it's not like there's no discussion around it but it just seems to be had in a closed environment yeah Christians talk to Christians, yeah. non-Christians yeah. non talk to non-Christians or yeah. yeah, there's kind of this. Yeah. Or if it's done, it's done like by these bullish atheists kind right. of who are kind of nasty and off-putting to my eye. You know, they look like these angry old men. Against, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Not that the Christians are always, you know, awesome, but, but the Christians have a different, I mean, you would ask a question at some point about like, you know, just by, by believing in religion that you lose 30 IQ points, um, you know? Yeah. And so, so as a Christian coming into that, into that space, you have a little different challenge. Um, it's like, you're trying to show yourself to be intellectually respectable. Um, everybody kind of expects you to yeah. be easily, um, uh, I don't know, a pushover or whatever you can kind of, yeah. So Anyway, uh, that, that's really hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. To be a Bible educated person. Um, one of the fallacies that I hear from the lips of pastors is to any challenge. Well, the Bible says this and that's mm. not good enough. Cause when you're talking to people who don't believe in the Bible, you can't right. use the Bible to prove itself. Yeah. So <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, well, and I think, I think that's a, you know, I mean, if you want my take on it, that's a problem within the evangelical world. Like we've, or within that, that kind of conservative Protestant space, um, we have let ourselves get boxed in there um, where we said the Bible has all truth. Um, and that's never actually been like a classical Christian belief um, that the Bible has the answer to every question. Um, you know, that's, I guess, fundamentalists believe that, but, um, nobody really, really. Yeah. That's, that's surprising. That's interesting to hear. So yeah, that's not like a, that's not a theologically set in stone belief to say that the Bible has every answer. I mean, no, no. Well, to the question, so we go back to what you're talking about evolution. Like yeah. that's not, 
there's nothing wrong with evolution. <laughs> or as I can tell, like there's, Whoa. <laughs> there's nothing. I'm, I'm an evolutionist. I said it here, folks. Oh um, my goodness. You're like, fired. <laughs> you know, and are there Christians that believe in, in seven day creation? Yes. Um, are our parents among them? Probably, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and they would kind of, if you, if you really press them on it and, and I, I think our, our parents are both really good folks. I don't know if they're ever going to listen to this. Um, (laughs) I think if you really press them on it, they would, they would kind of get to a point um, where they would sort of shrug their shoulders and they would go, because I believe in the Bible so much, I'm willing to assert these things, but I don't necessarily have arguments for why it's just that um, I believe so strongly in what the word of God says. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it can be a little, it can be a little tricky, but from the earliest days, the Christians were, I mean, the, the early fathers, Augustine believed in evolution. Whoa, really? He, he believed in a change within species. Um, there are, you know, the idea of seven day creationism is not something that comes about until fundamentalists respond to Darwin. Right. Oh. So, so, th- you know, the, yeah. I could, <laughs> the, the early fathers read these things in, um, in remarkably creative ways. I mean, origin is probably the, the, the prime example. Um, that's origin with a E N not an I N. Um, but he's like this, what's the distinction there in the E versus I well, origin, like maybe origin of the species. I don't know. Or like oh, the word yeah. I N versus the name E N. Um, Okay. So, so more royal origin. More yeah. <laughs> I mean, his name was origin. So I don't know. I guess I don't know. Oh, this is a person. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. And he was probably the most brilliant mind of the early church. Um, and his whole thing was um, allegorical readings of the scripture where he took the old Testament and he just like, he read it in these like mind boggling kind of um allegorical ways where it's the exact opposite of literal interpretation, you know? Um, And he saw, he saw all kinds of like connections and um, interplays between texts. So um, the, the question is always, I think, how do you, at what point are you going to give up your fundamentalism? Cause everybody's going to give it up at some point, you know, and fundamentalists who are, it's all the letter of the law, like if you really push them on it, um, there are, there are, uh, you know, if you go to revelation, they're going to give you an allegorical reading of the book of revelation. Yeah. They're going to say, well, those locusts are really helicopters. Well, that's not what it says. Like it says that those locusts are locusts. So who are you to interpret the text to say that they're helicopters? Like everybody has a point at which they break down um, in their fundamentalism, it's just a hierarchy, a hierarchy of like, when is that? And, and over what issue? Um, so I, I think that the classical Christian tradition has good answers for those things. Um, I mean, not everyone agrees with me, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I would, I mean, I would say, and the tradition I'm sort of in would say that scripture is the, it's where we start, but, you have, you have to actually apply your reason. 
you know, and then you have to, you have to measure that against the whole, like the tradition of, um, you know, the tradition of Christian interpreters across time. Um, Hmm. so yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Does that, is that something you felt like you ever heard growing up that there was room to explore? Yeah. Never. Yeah. And that's almost like, I guess you hear it in whispers Mm. where, like you said, there's a point where people are willing to stop being fundamentalists and start Mm -hmm. reading and start interpreting things. Yeah. And so that's like a, a discussion, a level that you don't hear from the pulpit. Right. And right. So and people are afraid. Yeah. People are afraid of uncertainty and they're afraid to wrestle. I know. Yeah. I remember sitting in a, like a Bible study in, in high school at, you know, with our youth pastor <laughs> and, yeah. I, and we were going through the book of Romans, like verse by verse. And it was like me and, and Chris Irwin and, <laughs> and one other guy in there and yeah. um, who was already in college. And, and it was like one of the, best sort of like moments of my, my high school church life. Um, the Bible was like coming alive for me and I'm asking all these questions and stuff. And my youth pastor like looks at me and he's like, well, just be careful because the last person I heard who asked those questions became a Buddhist. Um, (laughs) and I was like, well, okay. I mean, you can, you can just sort of like step on my soul if you want to, I guess. Um, but I'm like actually excited about the Bible and you're afraid that I'm going to, ask too many hard questions, you know? Um, Whoa. Yeah. So, and it's that kind of thing that it just breaks yeah. my heart. It breaks my heart. Cause I know it kills people's faith. I know it does. Yeah. It's really refreshing to hear you say that. Hmm. It reminds me of, see my journey in high school led me into the charismatic church. Like, and I will say, I gave Christianity, I gave the church my all. I really gave it my best shot, you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt dull in the evangelical church. And I, when I caught on to Bethel and the charismatic third wave Pentecostal, whatever, um, I really came alive that I was so into actually experiencing God, Mm -hmm. actually like having an experience. Like, can you believe that? It wasn't all just intellectualism. Mm -hmm. It wasn't all just like Bible studies and, you know, showing up on Sunday and tithing your 10%. But I got further down the road with that and a little more up close and personal with pastors. Hmm. And when the whole time it was, listen to what God's telling you, step out in faith, you know, give it your all, you know. (laughs) And then I started to say, I think God told me something. And then I got bit hard. Really? And then it was, don't say that don't say that God told you something. Huh? And it, 
I think that was like the first nail in the coffin for me, like, because I, I couldn't, now I was young and I was going through a lot of other stuff Uh and I, I was just frozen and I'm still looking forward to that conversation with another charismatic pastor and say like, why did this get told to me? Hmm. I understand if, if they just disagreed with what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And I understand if they you just wanted to provide some further insight, some outside perspective. Mm-hmm. But why did I just get hit with, don't say God told you so. And I, I think and it, it was, was that specific. It was like, don't say that phrase or whatever. Like, yeah. 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 It, huh. I wonder if it was coming from them because they had realized their error and they'd said it too much. Hmm. And I mean, these are guys who proclaimed miracles and healings, like supernatural stuff mm-hmm. that they probably found that wasn't true, like didn't really follow through. And they were experiencing pain through that. And so they were changing the message. Hmm. But these guys, they didn't stop preaching and saying, uh, God spoke to me last night, you know. Right. So what gave them that right? Yeah. Like they were they were pastors and they were ordained. Right. Um, but what, like, do I have to be a pastor to hear God? Right. <laughs> like, do I have to, like, no, it, it just, it didn't line up. Yeah. So... Yeah. And ordained by who? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I I don't mean to like overly slam charismatics or whatever, but like, that's a, I, I am, I, you know, I'm probably, uh, we, again, we can talk about more later, but I, I, that's not my world. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I've always been really involved in like the philosophy. You've always been really well read. Mm. Um, that's just my understanding of you. You've always like, you've gone to school for this. You've Mm. really studied theology and you've studied philosophy. You studied Kierkegaard and I would imagine maybe some Nietzsche. (laughs) I remember you reading that stuff and probably a lot of other stuff. And um, I don't know how much of that still sticks with you, but like you weren't afraid to go there. Mm. And Mm -hmm. in the, the charismatic church, was a little different. It was like more creative people mm-hmm. um, who weren't the type to sit around reading that heavy stuff. Mm. And so there was a lot of ebb and flow of narrative. In, in those churches that you were a part of? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or because... maybe the narrative was just weak too, because it was a lot of just like worship and experience God, pray for, healing you know okay so could i like would it be right to say that it's like it's dependent on like those those meetings are so dependent on people's experience of god and whether they're like actually having this tangible sort of experiential connection um and and then there's not necessarily always something beyond that (laughs) um like that sustains it over time. Right. So like if your experience drops off, like then what? Um, yeah. And it's it's just the dark night of the soul, you know, 
which is a, which is a, a term that actually comes about. Well, anyway, like the person who talks about this dark night of the soul, like St. John of the cross is he's talking about it because that's actually what sanctified, like that's what saints go through in the way that he understands it. But it gets used if all of your, if your whole like process is like, it's gotta be this, if God's not speaking to me, then God's somehow gone. Um, yeah. You know, it's, there, there's a lot of issues there. I, I think theologically there's a lot of issues. Um, yeah. But I mean, and I'm not anti experience. Um, I think people do and can and should have experiences of God, but, but they, they shouldn't be the barometer for truth. Um, because yeah. a lot of things can impact those experiences. A yeah. lot of things. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And it seemed to really take a toll on the congregations of those churches. Like you'd see, it was like manic depression. Like oh, really? Every one of these people, <laughs> just about. I mean, there are the core, more stable church sure. elders who were consistent and, you know, faithful, but in a lot of the people in the outer circles, you see them growing like massively and having these incredible revelational experiences. And then next week, like they're just crushed. Yeah. Or they're just not even showing up. So was that a part of you becoming an agnostic like that, the sort of back and forth? If I mean, sort of take it on that, that label, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had already lost faith and failed to gain it back mm. from the evangelical church. Mm. I was, um, and then the charismatic church. Yeah, I was, it didn't make any sense then at that point that I was told not to say God told me so. Yeah. Um, and I was pursuing my own healing because I was diagnosed as bipolar, you know, and I didn't want that. You know, I was yeah. 19, 20, 21 years old oh, and I was going to go after my healing. And I was walked through that by those, by that church and they were believing for it and hoping for it. Like <clears throat> they didn't, that you would be healed, that I would be healed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they didn't tell me not to go to the doctors and not to take the pills, but everything that underlied the messaging told me that it was possible and it was, it should happen. Right. So if it doesn't, that's somehow, would it be right to say that if it doesn't, it's like your fault in some way or you did something wrong or is that too far? I think it's a step too far. Like they stopped just short of that. Okay. Um, But it was at the point where if it didn't happen and it didn't, where it was just, it was crushing and it was totally devastating. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, man. (laughs) Yeah. So 
I eventually started the meds and it worked, you know, and I still wanted to believe in the charismatic church. I didn't want to carry this bitterness. I, I wanted to believe in the church as a whole. Um, but then further down the line, like I just still didn't see any real depth or anyone who then crossed, broke that barrier for me to bring some sort of sense into what I had gone through. I, you know, this brings it to another point of like agnosticism for me. I've never had like this level, this depth of conversation with someone, let alone a pastor. Um, my, I guess my fear is, or my sense is that I would be treated as like a number and I would mm -hmm. only get enough attention long enough to kind of be evangelized and improved upon in some way. And then they were going to bail. Yeah. <laughs> and it was on to the next one. Yeah. Cause they were, was your feeling like they were just interested in like fixing people and like yeah. once you were fixed enough there is it that kind of thing like yeah fixed a little bit but yeah i mean i hit multiple I, points I, of being just be rebuked and then i didn't huh. and in my mind i mean my experience of it was probably not what they expected but you know as someone who was experience like feeling feelings as a as someone with bipolar and especially being young and um still getting meds right and just being an adolescent and cut loose in the world yeah i was feeling everything like probably times a hundred yeah and so a small yeah. rebuke to me from a pastor, especially coming from a ministry family, felt like a rebuke from my own father. And, oh man, <laughs> like, yeah, it was like a hammer <laughs> hit me over the head. Yeah. And so I just kind of like was a, a church transient, you know, mm. like mm -hmm. I just got kicked out to the outskirts and like, I've always um, I mean, there have been times where I didn't want to believe in God. And I, I probably said that deep in my heart. I don't believe anymore. But for the most part, those are short-lived, mm. you know? And mm -hmm. um, so where was I going with that? Um, but there's a part of me that's always looking for a, a level of depth in some kind of church, but I, I haven't found it. And I, I've just seen a lot of to the opposite, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you, you like, yeah, you've been around a lot of churches. Um, yes. It feels like you've had a, um, yes. I don't know if you'd say you've been in a lot of churches, <laughs> yeah. you know, but just like, working in sound and event production and everything like mm -hmm. you've had the experience of like seeing kind of what churches are like on the business end. Yeah. Um, and that is sometimes like so ugly. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm yeah. 
Wow. Well, I, I mean, I, I know I can't like apologize for everybody, but <laughs> maybe I can apologize for myself for like not being the best like brother in ministry <laughs> during that time of your life. Yeah. I I know I used to like think about you all the time and pray for you and then like not know what to say. And then I would just chicken out and say nothing. Um, <laughs> and that's not a good answer. Like, you know, um, that's not a good answer, but it was. I don't maybe. hold any animosity because I, you know, I come from the same place where just knowing the kind of communication mm. skills that we were brought up with, which is not a spiritual issue. That's just a, like a, a yeah. family family issue you know sure. and, and it's not uncommon either so mm-hmm. um we just i'm not surprised that we didn't have the toolkit to um look each other in the eye and that's probably why this is happening this way yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> it took like <laughs> like hey do you want to do a podcast for us to right. actually just have a conversation as brothers <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> that's, so that's my fault too yeah. i mean that's my burden as well yeah yeah um, <laughs> but hmm. hopefully there's some good that can come out of it sure yeah uh, <laughs> so too so we think um oh yeah go ahead i was gonna change this the show, man i'm just the, i'm just a I'm just the hanger on. I'm just the pastor trying to get a little bump in my weekly tithes through this thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to change the subject, but, um, or circle back to something. Yeah. Um, so in your, have you ever seen the church apologize for anything? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> or or yeah it doesn't happen often um <laughs> here's what i would say the church apologizes very rarely yeah. and and not well <laughs> and usually not publicly okay um and i'm gonna guess that that is a um i'm gonna guess that that's just a uh something that um um that's something that institutions do. I don't know. I've never really been a part of any other institution, but I feel like I've seen universities do that kind of thing. I've seen, um, you know, um, you know, movie theaters, <laughs> movie theaters. Yeah. <laughs> or not movie theaters, but movie, not, not theaters, but uh, what's the uh, studios. Hey, I'm not the one who lives in LA. Okay. So I, um, yeah, I mean, you know, somebody who runs the studio messes up and they're like, they distance themselves from him or whatever. Like they, they try to, they kind of make the political move. Now they're not like claiming to have the universal truth. So it makes sense uh, that they kind of do that. But I think, I think churches do apologize usually not by, here's what I'll say. Churches recognize that things are wrong in themselves, not through public apology, but through splitting (laughs) often. And, um, that not every church split has its roots in that, but, um, you know, a lot of times that is the, that, that is what motivates church splits. So the free Methodist church, for example, actually they split over 
the issue of slavery. Like there were Methodists who said slavery is bad. We should not be on the side of slavery. Um, <laughs> and, and other Methodists who said, no, it's cool, man. Like we'll just keep on going. And so the United Methodist church, which is currently in the middle of another split, um, was a kind of a, a production um, of the free Methodist church splitting off. Um, again, these histories are always complicated, but, um, um, but the free Methodist church left in the 18, in the 1860s, I think over the issue of slavery. Um, so I would say that's a place that some Christians at least got it right. Um, uh, you know, in England, the driving force behind the end of slavery was evangelicals, William Wilberforce. And um, I think there was a movie about like Amazing Grace or whatever, but that's, that's the history behind it. It was evangelicals that drove that. Um, it was, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's any number of things that I could tie back to the church as good things, but oftentimes that is actually the root of those church splits is people going, something's wrong. Others saying, no, it's not, or at least we don't want to address it, or we don't have the political will or motivation to address it. Um, and so a, a smaller group will end up splitting off. Is that an apology? Not really. Um, I just say part of the church then recognizes that something is messed up. Um, so there have been, I know the, um, I just was reading a Twitter thread uh, this morning, probably um, the there, I know the Presbyterian church um, at one point did kind of make this big move to apologize for their involvement in slavery um, and racism. I think that was in the sixties or seventies, but again, all those things are sort of internal. And then like a press release comes out that nobody reads. Um, and then, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem. Like as an institution, how do you, how do you do that work? Um, yeah. And I think the only way, you, I mean, the only way you can really do it is to, is to say like, um, we're going to continually engage in a process of lament and grieving um, for, for those wrongs. But in so much of the church culture, like, you know, that's a downer. Like people yeah. don't want to, people don't want to keep showing up to a service of lament. And so um some Anglicans that I, I listened to um, not so long ago were they organized, actually it was about a year ago this time, they organized a, um, a big like, and I think it was during Advent, which um, is some, in some traditions is a, is a season of lament and mourning and, and repentance. Um, they organized a, um, they were in England and, and organized a, a con, like, I don't know the language cause I'm not Anglican, but, um, a, basically these grieving, lamenting morning services, like, um, of confession and penitence. That's probably the words. Um, they had all these people together doing it over. I think it was specifically over priest, like clerical abuse of, of minors saying like, we're gonna, we need to apologize, not just to the people who were hurt, yeah. uh, but we need to apologize to God for so like, um, screwing up yeah. our calling and our mission. Um, and so I, I wish there was more of that, man. I, I really wish there was, um, you know, our church is so kind of loosey goosey about worship that they just kind of leave it up to the individual pastors and, um, you know, and then 
And then it swings to the other side where there's, what's hard is like, it, you know, it swings to the other side where there's these, like, some churches will apologize for anything, man. Like, they'll just, they'll, everything, they're sorry for all of it. <laughs> they, they're sorry for stuff that nobody's even mad at them about or, you know, whatever it is. Like, and you're just constantly in this thing of like, okay, there's sin in the world. We lament, we lament, we lament. Um, and, and I, I don't know the perfect balance. Um, but I think there's, there's a, there is a right balance between, um, lament and grieving and mourning. Um, but then also, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if, if, yeah, if you're gauging it by what other people say, you're going to be in trouble. Um, you've got to kind of find, um, I think there needs to be some real seeking on the part of church leadership for some of those things. And I don't know, that's probably a really bad answer. Well, no, it's an excellent answer. Um, <laughs> and there probably needs to be more seeking on the seekers part. Like I probably what we've come to expect is for institutions to like buy airtime you know, mm-hmm. or to fire people, you know, <laughs> fire this pastor, fire this leadership. And it does happen, but, um, it happens silently. Exactly. And it, it's like, they kind of just tuck this guy off into a corner and, you know, just say, well, he's going to, uh, he's going to work on his. And then typically he'll go start a new church, you know? Yeah. I mean, we could name the names. Um, but it's, I, I, I mean, I'll be on it. Like church culture is often sick and it's especially sick when it gets wrapped up in sort of mainstream, like it's, it's especially sick when it becomes, when it's co-opted by a, um, when it's co-opted by political interest. Right. And that's what, that's what happens time and time and time and time again by anybody who has influence, who's on TV, who, is the leader of a university in a Southern state likes to hang out on yachts. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's like there's, because if you have influence, like you can wield that influence in the church um, or you can wield that influence in the world and it probably won't feel that different like on a day-to-day level. And so you get a, you get, political characters are going to come along and they're going to want to use you, you know? And it's like, and there's, you know, Billy Graham just thought Richard Nixon was just the cat's pajamas. He just thought he was um, such a good guy, such a committed Christian, all this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, maybe not. Maybe you misread that one, Billy. Um, (laughs) And, and there's probably an argument that Billy Graham got used a little bit by the political right, even though, he was a lot less political in politically influenceable than, uh, than some of our pastors today who are so eager to be, I mean, they'll do anything to have Donald Trump bring him to the white house. Um, it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I think, uh, I, I think that power is dangerous and power and authority needs to come with a lot of prayer and accountability. And, um, Oftentimes in, in, in the free church world, meaning in the place where um, churches are not accountable to authority structures above them, it's really easy for someone who's good at getting influence 
to just kind of stack that influence on top of, you know, and then, and then you're too big to criticize. You're too big to fail all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so then you get these mega churches that are, are, you know, they, they, they attract sociopaths, um, because who would want that kind of job? Um, so that's a mean thing to say. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I know some mega church pastors They're from what I can tell they're nice people, but, yeah. um, but oftentimes that, um, that, uh, that role is, it's not a healthy one, like no. to be the, yeah. to be that kind of person. So this I, is, yeah. I feel it even for you, for, or for any pastors, even pastors of small churches that pressure to get up every Sunday and have something to offer seems I would, I would crumble, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have, (laughs) I have dozens of people listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) There are dozens of us. Hopefully we'll have a dozen people listen to this. Yeah. (laughs) I, but that seems incredibly hard. Um, So I have respect there, but then to, to be like a mega church pastor yeah, it's that's a sociopath. That's an egalomaniac. That's someone who's power hungry, um, or at least they've been in power and they're not going to know how to loosen their grip. You know, especially if it means humility and like yeah. being exposed or even exposing themselves. You know, I, I should qualify that statement. It's not that's certainly not the case everywhere. Um, and I, it depends on what you call mega church. I, you know, I, I really am thinking of people who are nationally. We're talking about the influential. Joel and the Jerry Falwells. Yeah. 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 That's not a, I'm not talking about every church of 2,500 or whatever. Um, right. yeah. but, but yeah, the people who their whole thing is having a, it's having a national and international platform. It's like, you know, that's, I guess that's fine. Um, but, but that's, I, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. And I, I know it's not healthy because the early Christians that did that, those guys all like ended their life by running off into the desert and praying for the last 10 years of their life and then dying in a cave somewhere. And so like, like the people that you look at that you're like, Oh, they were, they really did it well. Yeah. They had a level of, there was a level of sort of sanctity and um, and intensity about their lives that's unheard of today. It's absolutely unheard of in those leaders today. Yeah. Um, you know, we just have people largely who know how to navigate the capital I industry, you know, and uh, yeah. so, and that's a, that, that's a, re- there's a real difference there. But it's a different world for sure. Um, this brings me to one of my, um, one of the thoughts that I can put words to, and that is that the evangelical church and capitalism are one and the same. Like the, the evangelical church is capitalist. It's there, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. Even in the way that they operate and build Bible studies or get rid of Bible studies, and like they, they've, they've, people have come from the business world, you know, who knew how to get policy, get programs going, 
and, you know, sift the wheat from the chaff and do it really well and really fast and generate big numbers, you know, keep them in the black. <laughs> when it seems like the most Christian thing to do is to go into the red sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, churches are good at that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that you're very right in that oftentimes we're, we're especially, we're market driven. Um, and we, we put value on things based on, um, based on how it plays in the sort of marketplace of religious success, whatever, however we sort of define that, I guess. Um, yeah, man, I see that. Um, and it's, it's not a great place to be. There ought to be more, um, there, there ought to be, um, more, in relationship to like, I wish more churches were willing to, to focus on depth. Um, yeah. Than on, uh, yeah. Than on the numbers. So, but they want to keep it accessible. Um, like they're trying to reach new believers. That's a big emphasis, but how does that come off to you? Like as somebody is like, not, I mean, yeah. Who's not in, in the church. Yeah. You know, um, but do you think, but you are kind of like in, you're in the industry of entertainment in one way or another. So on one level, I feel like you understand that. Um, like you understand some of the pressures. Yeah. Um, but then I'm, I'm, I would be interested to hear how it, like, do you think that churches should be this kind of super idealistic, like, we're only going to do and say what's true. And it's just going to be the four of us who gather here for the rest of all rest of eternity. Um, as opposed to like, Hey man, I'll do anything that I'll shoot a Easter rabbit out of a cannon. If that's what gets people. <laughs> um, I do have a video of an Easter rabbit playing a saxophone solo at a, um, <laughs> on Easter Sunday <laughs> at a church, not so long ago, <laughs> if anyone's interested. <laughs> I think there's, there's a lot of interest there. Yeah. <laughs> I respect both sides in their pure form. Um, so I am in production and I respect, and I love excellence in production. So I'm not afraid of a little bit of polish, you know, like I want the lighting to look good. Hey, if the pastor needs a little makeup, a little foundation so that his forehead's not shining, like I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> that, that I'm not saying I've seen that happen, but that's, um, that's just an example. Um, on the other hand, like, yeah, it has to be, wholesome it has to what's what's the word it has to edify the church it has to feed people if the message is too quick too watered down then of course you're just going to lose people um now my experience has been and i experienced this other places is that like there's some inconsistency so i when I give grace to 
pastors for having just bum sermons sometimes, you know, <laughs> like there's, it's just not going to hit every time. And, um, pastors and the church leadership are human too. And they're going to have, you know, so does every bite have to be meaty and juicy and sweet and salty at the same time? No, no. But, Okay. I, it seems to come down to just money and power. Yeah. You know, what would you, what do you want a church to be centered on? My, maybe I could answer that question best by saying like my personal ideal church. Yeah. Um, as an agnostic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this like the ideal church that would capture my heart and would make me say I'm not an agnostic. Oh, I think I got to think about that. Yeah. Um, well, there's more episodes. Yeah. No, I think that they would have the kind of discussions that we're having here. Like there would be weeks where it's like Q and a session, you know, um, or maybe, maybe not just weeks, but, um, during the week there would be sessions where it's like a free for all. Yeah. I would love to see that, you know, and to see a, a pastor who has wrestled with these questions and is not afraid to go toe to toe, like that would be really exciting. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I can tell you that's what most, most pastors I know, that's what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that there's a huge number of people that are, um, it bums me out that so many people's experiences like, well, this guy shut me down. I'm like, man, I could have sent you to like 90 other people who, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who would be desperate to really engage. Yeah. I have someone who's willing to do that and willing to lose church members and like say, well, Hey, look, I don't have the answers for you right now. And it sounds like you need like this other spin on ministry. And oh yeah, there's this church down the street that you should probably go to. And you, you know, you're going to have a much better time there. Like, could you imagine mm -hmm. if they were willing to do that? <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I, well, yeah. I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel that hard to me to do. It's kind of like, well, they're either going to go there and, and actually latch on to things or, you know, or they're just going to be here for a little while and then leave anyway. Um, <laughs> so that's, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's that virtuous of a thing, <laughs> but my, uh, I, so the, the churches that do the church best to me um, are also the pastors are inaccessible mm. from what I can tell, like, or they're just too busy, you know, Maybe they do sit down with people during the week and they do, they take meetings with, you know, nobodies like me who, you know, people who haven't tithed, you know, but, um, I, it would be an interesting experience. Um, I, it'd be an interesting experiment to email, <laughs> to, Just Email, email pastors like just off their websites and see if you could get them to set up a meeting with you. Um, <laughs> that would be like, yeah. 
I think there'd be there'd be something to that. Um, That's my dream pastor, really. Oh man, yeah. Well, I don't know. I know we don't live close to each other, but I do. I feel like I do a lot of that. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like what you're describing, honestly, is an actual pastor and not like the leader of a like a CEO pastor, a movement. Yeah, like somebody who sees themselves as um, somebody whose job, like somebody who sees their job as to actually shepherd and walk with people and like guide them through or the, 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 the right word maybe is like, I don't know. The cultural word is probably curate. Um, (laughs) Like to help somebody discover what else is out there um, in kind of like the Christian in, in the, to discover what else is out there in the process of growing in Christ. Um, you know, and that might be like people from different theological traditions that might be people, maybe even a little bit outside of the Christian, you know, the Christian tradition, but who have some wisdom, like that's what scripture is. As far as I can tell, like it's, it's the over time curated wisdom of a community that has been like, um, that's been sanctified and guided by the Holy spirit. But that's ultimately what it is, is it's like over time, this whole like nation of people, we don't always know who picked those books of the Bible, especially in the old Testament. We just know that they lasted and that ultimately like there was so much, there was some kind of power in them that everybody got behind it. Um, yeah. And, uh, Boy, Ollie's really going to town there. Um, uh, <laughs> Ollie the dog. Um, so, you know, that's, I, I, it sounds like you're actually just describing a pastor, <laughs> which doesn't seem like it's a lot to ask as opposed to somebody who's, um, you know, whose heart is in like, maybe, and maybe it's just a confusion. Maybe people are just convinced that the only way for them to actually reach people is to have a sort of brand recognition. Um, and I just don't think that's true. I think that that's buying into a kind of lie from, from, you know, the entertainment industry or whatever industries out there that you've got to have pull if you're going to, if you're going to influence people for the better in order to have pull, you have to kind of be separated from the people that you're trying to care about. And I'm like, (laughs) that's not it um i mean what about i just had this thought i mean look pastors are busy they are it's like they're running their own little business um and we know that any business owner is busy so that's understandable and respectable but like what if you had a contact list of church elders who were able to take those kinds of meetings and were able to speak freely, you know, without like having to call home, you know, yeah, it happens, but it's like, it's not accessible until you've probably been going to that church for a few months. Right. And you got to know who to, who to, how to navigate. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't, I know that Tim Keller, you know, he pastors Redeemer, his big church in New York City. Um, And he's like, he'll say he's not, he's not really a scholar. He just reads a lot of scholars and he's pretty good at like processing what scholars say and communicating it. Um, 
So he sounds really smart. Um, and I, I actually think he is really smart, but anyway, um, one of the ways that his church grew in Virginia was that he would hang around after the service and he would answer any question of like whoever came and wanted to stick around and talk. He would just sit down kind of by the altars and they would just talk for 30, 45 minutes, um, every week. Um, and it was just off the cuff and formal, that kind of thing. And I think he's been doing that at Redeemer too, in New York city. Um, which is like, he's a huge name, like huge in, in sort of the Christian world. And to just say like, man, I'm just going to be here and we'll talk like that's, that's what a pastor ought to do. Um, and I think that the myth of I'm so busy, I can't be available. It's just like, okay, you're just not doing, you're not doing the thing that you ought to be doing at that point. Um, like there's, so I don't know, man. <laughs> it reminds me of a church that, um, you know, this, this church had a lot going on, but you know, one Sunday, um, I, after the service, just walked up to the pastor and sat down next to him and was like, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> and I tried to just strike up a conversation and get to know him. And someone who was supposed to be like my, my mentor, my leader just said, I can't believe you did that. You know, it was like walking up to a King. Yeah. How dare you disrespect this guy's time, you know? And it was like, he was holding his grandbaby, um, which is, you know, it was this, obviously this loving time. And it was a, probably a moment of like, social deafness on my part i think i was like 18 or 19 years old and um but if we're honest with ourselves i think he may have been trying to create an image and he was just fostering that image of like this holy man who had generations of children and you know i don't know yeah. So I saw a lot of that, of that inaccessibility, getting a rebuke, and it was like, you're for us or against us. And so I was like, peace. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it's sad. I mean, I hope like people don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'd be interested to hear from other people, you know, um, but so often I feel like people's rejection of the church um, is because the church has done a really poor job of receiving them. Um, And so they then bail on, on all the good that's there. And, um, you know, and that's, that's not good. (laughs) So if anybody hears this, I'm happy to respond to an email. Um, (laughs) but um yeah yeah that's i'm sorry man yeah um yeah i mean it is what it is and i'm coming to the realization that it's not all like that um yeah yeah the church how many denominations would be in like the christian protestant church i mean are there thousands yeah yeah easily Yeah. But then it's, yeah. And those don't really like compare. 
it's hard to like, what do you compare a denomination to? Um, so I don't know. It's um, yeah. Lots of denominations. <laughs> Cause anyone technically could start it, I guess. Um, yeah. So. Well, I think we can. Yeah, we can. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, assuming anyone's listening, thanks for listening. And <laughs> I hope we had some, I hope you got something out of it. I know I did. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, thanks, Jeff, for participating. Yeah. And thanks for being just vulnerable and being, being you. Yeah. Thank you for being <laughs> you. <laughs> From my world to yours. <laughs> Two worlds. Two worlds. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs>